Hey, hey, welcome to another cybersecurity edition of our show. Today, we're talking about ransomware. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. What's up? Welcome to episode 36. We're keeping it quarterly. We're doing quarterly episodes about cybersecurity. That seems to be the frequency that you're looking for. But today's cybersecurity episode is going to be a little different. Our topic today is the anatomy of a targeted ransomware attack. We're going to be speaking with Ofer Shaked, the CTO and co-founder of Skadefense, which is the most comprehensive OT and IoT cybersecurity platform for critical infrastructure and enterprises. Now, I know we have some security buffs that listen to this show, but if that sounded like a mouthful, don't sweat it. This episode will make it all make sense. That's because most of this episode is in the context of a story Ofer is going to share. That's because most of this episode is in the context of a story Ofer is going to share about a targeted industrial cyber attack they recently responded to. But before we get to that, here are the three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to discuss Ofer's background. He served in Unit 8200 for the Israeli military, and we're going to learn why that's become such an incubator for cybersecurity startups. Second, we're going to talk about ransomware, why targeted attacks are becoming more common, why manufacturing is a hot target, and what it's like being in the middle of a cyber attack. Ofer walks us through what it was like when Skadefense responded to this attack, the first steps they took, what they found, and ultimately how they resolved it. Finally, number three, we wrap up with what the next threat landscape might look like, and most importantly, what leaders can do to prevent cyber attacks like this from happening. As always, you can access the show notes to these episodes and all the resources mentioned over at ManufacturingHappyHour.com. To get to this specific conversation, head to ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash 36, where you can access the white paper we referenced throughout this interview, The Anatomy of a Ransomware Attack, as well as a resource that Skate Defense has that, for whatever reason, didn't come up in this conversation. They have what's called the Cybersecurity Cocktail Book, which I feel like is a perfect manufacturing happy hour conversation. I'm not going to tell you about it now. I'll wait, I'll wait for the outro for that so you have reason to listen, but uh, that is one of the most fun and, and quite frankly, frankly informative uh, pieces of marketing collateral that i've ever come across so cybersecurity cocktail book brought to you by skate defense in addition to being cybersecurity experts they know their cocktails anyway moving on if you would like to leave a rating and review for this show because you're enjoying manufacturing happy hour you can do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash itunes that will take you straight to the apple podcasts platform where you can leave your review and a five-star rating We'd certainly appreciate it if you did. But because this intro is long, I'm going to say that's it for now. Let's get to our conversation with Ofer Shockhead. Good morning, Manufacturing All-Stars. Today we are up for another cybersecurity episode, one of our favorite topics on the show. And we are joined by 
Ofer Shockhead, the CTO at Skate Offense. Ofer, how are you doing today? Good morning, Chris. I feel amazing. Thank you. It's great to be on your podcast today. And I should say good evening to you because you are on the other side of the world right now, correct? Correct. It's now 4 p.m. here. I am in Tel Aviv, Israel. Well, this gives us a, a good opportunity to kind of catch one another at the beginning and respective ends of our day. On Manufacturing Happy Hour, we always like to start things off in a, a casual fashion, so to speak, a happy hour style fashion. So if we're sitting around a table hanging out in Tel Aviv right now and someone comes up to you, you know, let's say we're at a cafe and someone's like, Ofer, what is it that, that Skate Offense does? How do you answer that simply if you're hanging out, you know, around a table having a conversation? So Skate Offense is an industrial cybersecurity company. Uh, today, there's a lot of uh, industrial infrastructure, for example, in critical infrastructure, in manufacturing, in building management systems, and in additional places that is uh, a highly uh, digitalized and uh, with a lot of connectivity. And um, this uh, creates a new cybersecurity problem. And uh, Skatefence is one of the companies that uh, is targeting this problem with a number of products that can reduce the risks and uh, provide visibility and control to the teams that are in charge of these networks. Love that. And, and critical infrastructure and security around it has been a big topic on the show over the past year. Um, and, you know, one one trend I've noticed, and, and I don't think it's coincidental, is that other companies have have essentially come out of Israel as well. And if I know your story, if I understand your story right, you met your co-founder while you were in the Israeli army. How did Israel essentially become a startup incubator, specifically the the military component for cybersecurity startups? You know, that's, it's, it's a very good question. We have people coming from all over the world. We had uh, ministers from different countries coming to Israel, uh, talking to the people and trying to understand and copy the model to their country. And uh, books have been written about it. I, I can give you my take, but it's, uh, it's something pretty, pretty complex that people are trying to, uh, to understand. First of all, inside the army, there's, uh, there's the IDF intelligence. This is, the, th this is where I came from. Now, inside intelligence, there are different units. The most famous unit is 8200. It's quite a big unit. It's not only focused on technology. It's focused on a lot of things. It's one of the biggest units. But I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a different unit called 81. Until last week, it was not possible for me to share this information. But uh, the IDF intelligence uh, decided to come out to the media with this information and published a very big article about the unit. Um, in the in the article, they uh, they explain the, what the unit does. They explain about uh, the training course that I uh, th that I've been in in, in the army, the the, the cyber security training course that I uh, I, I took part in, and uh, they explain that from this specific unit uh, there are more than two hundred entrepreneurs that uh, founded over fifty companies. Um, some of them are unicorn companies. So, um, yeah, it, it is a very big innovation hub. Um, I, I can tell you about myself, how, how I got there, and yeah. maybe, it will, maybe it will explain, because a lot of the people who are starting these companies and doing the innovation came from a similar background to mine. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, with uh, computers maybe um, when I was eight or nine years old. Um, I started the programming very, very early. 
Uh, I started uh, working at a startup company when I was 15 years old. So while I, w- while I was uh, through high school, I, uh, I finished uh, uh, studying every day and went to work until midnight. And uh, then when you're 16 or 17, they start uh, to test you. Uh, they start having all sorts of tests for the army service. Um, so it starts uh, by uh, testing thousands of people and then they narrow it down more and more until they uh, find about 20 or 30 people a year, which go to the to the place where I went, that most of them have experience working before the army service, which is something quite rare in Israel. They, they put them in a, in a training program. In, in Israel, the, the, the mandatory service is around three, three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, these programs require you to sign two additional years or three additional years um, as mandatory as well before you go to these training programs because they're very lucrative and a lot of people want to go there. So it's possible for the army to, to get you uh, to, to sign uh, more. So I also had to... To, uh, I, I, I spent it in the army five years instead of th- three years. Okay. Um, and they, they teach you everything you need to know. They put you in the unit. The unit uh, uh, teaches you some more stuff. And then you are part of um, one of the, probably one of the best um, cybersecurity uh, operations and uh, R&D in the world. And this is what you do for a couple of years. Yeah. No, that's, that's fascinating. Because I, I knew about unit 8200 um and and a lot of our audience is based in north america so they might be learning a lot of this for the first time so i knew 8200 was was the spot where a lot of people came from and and obviously i guess it is is new for me to learn today that um unit 81 was a unique segment that you were in the secret technology unit as as i'm looking it up right here as well just uh learning a bit more that that's fascinating because i because as I understand it, everyone in Israel is required to serve in the army. Because I think I ran into, when I was traveling around South America, I, I ran into a number of people that I think were doing some travels from Israel right before they joined the army. Is that pretty common for people to do some exploring before they start their army service? Normally they do it after the army service. There are some people uh, going before the army service, but it's quite common in Israel to go to either uh, uh, the East, India, places like that, or to South America for a period, can be four months, six months. Some some people even stay a little bit more. Uh, I, I, I didn't go through this. I was, uh, I, I don't know, I just wanted to, to do other uh, things. I, I joined the company. I, uh, I started working immediately. After about a year, I started my company, so I didn't have uh, a lot of uh, travel, but it is very common. Yeah, I, I just remember in my travels in South America running it, and, and you're probably right, it probably was after their army service had finished. So fascinating setup and, and awesome that you gained your experience there. You know, one of the reasons we have you here today is, I mentioned we talked about cybersecurity before on the show, but we haven't really talked about ransomware specifically and you just published relatively recently within the past year a fascinating white paper titled um the anatomy of a targeted ransomware attack and we're going to dive into some of the you know i guess the higher level details of that if if that makes sense here in a bit but one question that first comes to mind is we've heard of ransomware before but why is why are targeted attacks becoming more prevalent i think that the attackers um have used already all of the low-hanging fruits. And now if you want to get the results, you need to invest a little bit more efforts. And this is where we see these targeted attacks. 
So I'll, I'll explain about this attack in a moment, but uh, it's, it's basically when, when, when we're talking about ransomware, it's a way for cyber criminals to monetize their operations. It's, an, it's a novel way for them to monetize their operations. They do a couple of other things. They can steal information and sell it. They do extortion and they do other stuff. But uh, uh, ransomware is one of these things. Now, people are aware of this and they um, invest some resources into securing their systems. This is creating a problem for cyber attackers because now it's not just something you can scan online and deploy a ransomware and someone will pay you. You actually have to get into the internal network, steal credentials or use a vulnerability to spread yourself because if you only attacked five machines, no one is going to pay you. You need to create sub substantial damage to the company. Mm -hmm. You need to create panic. You need to stop their operations if you want to make any money out of it. And I think this is the reason why we see more targeted attacks. Now, we are in the manufacturing uh, podcast, but, you know, ransomware is all over the place. We, mm -hmm. we did hear a lot about it in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. and we are, I, I would love to explore with you the reasons why. But uh, but yeah, it's a very very powerful trend these days, and uh, every every week I hear about another company getting attacked by ransomware. Well, that actually segues right into the, the next question I was going to ask. You know, you mentioned, and I and I've got a maybe a bit of an inkling of why this is that uh, you know you you really have to target a lot to do some damage. So why is the manufacturing industry one of the most frequent industries that's targeted from ransomware campaigns? I think that the manufacturing industry has a couple of uh, uh, unique problems. First of all, manufacturers have only started opened themselves to the world in the last maybe 10 years, some companies in the last five years, and may maybe even most of the market in the last three years went through significant digital transformation. So this, this process is still ongoing. Now, when we're talking about manufacturing, we're talking about technologies that are not very recent. So uh, a lot of uh, systems are legacy systems. A lot of people are using older operating systems. The network architectures are not such a good fit for cybersecurity. They, they were not designed with security in mind. Uh, there's a lot of IoT equipment that it's almost impossible to, to secure. It's very, very hard to secure this IoT equipment. It's not only Windows devices and servers that are easier to, to secure. And maybe it's also a matter of uh, talent uh, shortage and uh, gaps in knowledge and information. There's not, there's not enough experience in this industry on how to secure these networks. Now, when you have a big network with uh, uh, little uh, uh, security solutions, uh, with a lot of default passwords, with unpatched machines. The network is flat. There's no firewalls at the right places. The architecture is not entirely understood by the team. Then, you know, a, lo a lot of things can happen. And uh, ransomware is one of these things that can make a lot of money in manufacturing. No one, no one wants their critical infrastructure or their manufacturing facility to stop. It's not about sending your employees home. It's about you can lose on, on, on contracts. Uh, you need to call in a lot of service people to, uh, to, uh, to fix the, the, the problems that it created. Maybe you don't have proper backups of, of everything. It's hard to restart the process. Some processes uh, cannot be stopped in the middle just like that. You have to do a long maintenance period if you stop them without uh, an early warning. Some processes take time to warm up. So the manufacturing is generating a lot of revenue for the cyber criminals from, from, from ransomware, 
because it's first of all it's easier to attack than other things yeah and and second the the the, the damage you're creating is higher than if you're just encrypted so mail server or so windows devices that have backups we are attacking completely different things that are much harder to to restore from backup many of them don't have backups and i think th this is these are some of the reasons yeah and, and i i love that you use the word encrypting because i i know our audience understands that we think of that in terms of encrypting files but i'd love to hear about that in the context of like factory assets and their backups and the things that help them run and and that's what we you know i want to get into with the anatomy of the ransomware attack because i'll admit when i was reviewing this document last night this white paper you created i mean certain parts of it sound like you're in the middle of like an action movie for lack of a better word in terms of the type of turmoil that you're in you know i'm sure people have seen movies like die hard and things like that so people can kind of envision it but you know most people have a concept of what ransom means you're holding something hostage and you're demanding money but what i think might be helpful for our audience is if you kind of explain this in the context of a cyber attack like the one that that you were writing about so in that paper you describe what it's like for that company to receive a ransom note for so to speak can you kind of paint a picture of what it would have looked like to be in the middle of that cyber attack. Absolutely. First of all, it's uh, something very, very stressful. There is an element of time here. Uh, whenever you're responding to incidents, uh, it does look a little bit like an action movie. You want to fix the problem as soon as possible because you don't know which data they're stealing right now. They don't know what you you don't know what they're planning to do. You you can work uh, sometimes uh, 18, 20 hours a day. Mm -hmm. with the local team you don't you don't sleep much uh in order to uh, fix the problem as as soon as possible so there are there are two ways to understand that you have a ransomware uh, situation the best way if you have the right security tools in place you might discover that you have a cyber attack going on before you actually see a ransom note mm. uh, in places where you're less fortunate or you don't have the right uh, tools and detections and teams in place you might only find out about it after one of your employees reports a ransomware note. The first ransomware note, you know, it, it something like this can happen. I guess that on, in every large enterprise, there's one ransomware note per, I don't know how many weeks. Mm -hmm. But it starts to be very scary when people are reporting problems, you know, servers stop working, authentication servers, the email stops working, the website is down, things like that. And you get more and more reports and calls to your support center of users unable to log in. They see a ransom note, they don't know what to do. So this is how a lot of organizations found out about it. And uh, unfortunately, this in, in, the, in the attack we, we explained in the white paper, uh, this was also the situation. Some of the employees started finding the ransom notes. And then mm -hmm. they it's the first time some, something at this scale happened to them and they really required external help. Yeah, and, and what it's, you know, just, just for a little additional context for someone in our audience that might be as deep into cybersecurity, you know, it's basically notes, like you said, you know, this server is encrypted. And it's not, like you said, it's not just email servers. What are some, let's say we're on a factory floor. Can you give an example of something that is unique to the manufacturing industry that gets held hostage, for, for lack of a better word? You can have uh, uh, some, uh, some robots, some uh, uh, control equipment, uh, process control uh, computers, line management, uh, MES systems, historian servers, SCADA servers, all of the things that are running uh, uh, Wonderware, 
GE simplicity and all of these uh, things they are running on Windows. Windows is uh, something that's, I think, maybe the most common target of, uh, of ransomware. Mm -hmm. Some of the industrial devices also run Windows. Some PLCs, I think, uh, Beckoff, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, is also running Windows on the, on the controllers. Yes, it's a, it's a large, large portion of the equipment. Normally, Linux devices are not attacked. Okay. So you and 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 some of the PLCs are running a other operating system or embedded stuff, so they also won't be attacked, but they will still not be operational because uh, they're blocking your view. You will not be able to see anything in the in the control center. Uh, the the SCADA monitoring will stop working. You you might not be able to control the PLCs anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, the historian wow. server will be down, so it's not allowed by regulation to continue manufacturing without an historian server. And in many cases, you will have to stop production anyway. Database servers uh, might be down, so you will you will not be able to write the the process uh, parameters. The M as I mentioned, the MES system and all of the all of the services around it will also be down. It's a big, big, big headache to to have. I was going to say what what I heard from that answer, Ofer, was that basically everything from the historian to the SCADA to the PLCs, like I mean, you you kind of went through like to the robots themselves. You kind of went through the whole gamut of everything that's in a, a manufacturing facility. So, um, eventually, we're going to get to a happy ending in all of this in terms of what people can do. But we still got a bit of the <laughs> bit of the story to get through first. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine-as-a-service company that's transforming the way end-users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, what is machine-as-a-service? Well, if you're familiar with other as-a-service business models, it works very similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties this investment to production output. The coolest thing is, machine builders win as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs can cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. Steamchain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steamchain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Kromicky. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain, and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. And now, back to today's episode. You know, you mentioned time is critical in these scenarios, and you deployed Skate Defense's incident response team to this, the incidents response team. You know, I guess I'd love to know what the first step was, but in all honesty, do you, you deploy them to site, correct, to take care of this? Yes. Uh, in this case, we, we, sent, uh, we sent people to the site. I was one of the people on site. When I arrived on site, first of all, I had to understand what's going on. I tried understanding it mm -hmm. along the way. I had, we, we had to take a flight and, and get there. That's what I was curious about because I, I assume these manufacturing facilities are in remote spots. So I, I that was just, you know, I know this is not the technical side of it, but I thought that detail of having to go into a spot like this probably with some 
I don't know. I mean, it, however, however you get to these locations has got to be a crazy part of it as well. Yes, because you have to get there very, very quickly. So uh, we we took a flight. Uh, I think it was the same day, and uh, they sent a driver to take us from the airport. In the meanwhile, they also had a local team helping them, but uh, the the local team was uh, less efficient. Than, uh, mm-hmm. than than us in managing the incident. That makes sense. Well, I mean, you guys are pros. You do this all the time. So as such, what's what's the first thing you would, and, and I know some we could probably do a deep dive, 30-minute conversation into each of these next few questions, but you know, what's one of the first things you do when you get there to just understand the situation? First of all, I, I will split the answer into <clears throat> management and psychological aspects and the technical mm-hmm. aspects. So when we get to an incident, we take uh, control over the investigation. So we need to understand who was in charge until now, get all of the information from them. Normally, they are in a lot of panic. We have to calm them down that everything is going to be okay. We're going to handle it very efficiently. Within a few hours, you're going to see results. Um, Trying to understand who is in charge of what and and starting uh, managing the investigation centrally. Why do we manage uh, uh, we, we, we manage the, the investigation centrally? Because uh, normally people in the site are not aware of uh, uh, cybersecurity and investigations. And if you mm-hmm. let them do whatever they want out of goodwill, um, they might uh, contaminate evidence or even delete evidence. So we, we manage it very, very tightly. No one is allowed to, ch- to touch anything without uh, approval. Uh, even in this investigation, before we came there, some of the evidence was contaminated mm-hmm. uh, because the team uh, tried to, you know, try to find the malware themselves or trying to shut down machines or or things like that. So um, this is the first thing we do. We start to manage centrally. Now, the the first thing we we need, I, I we we try to understand from them what is going on. Uh, we look only at facts. We don't look at anyone's opinions. When everyone are uh, panicking. It's, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between facts and someone's opinions and what really happened. So we try to look at the things ourselves and see what is relevant to the investigation and, what, and what's not. The next thing we do is we start to collect evidence. Um, evidence can be log files. So we have a list of places where we used to get the log files from and that are specific in manufacturing. Uh, we take uh, snapshots, uh, RAM snapshots and hard drive snapshots of uh, virtual machines and the servers and other things that were infected. Uh, We look at the file timestamp. So we we collect a lot of things. Um, If we find anything that requires further analysis, we also have a reverse engineering team. This this is a key part in the investigation. We can take the malware. We can take uh, different uh, uh, artifacts, uh, log files that the malware created, or all sorts of files, configuration files that it's using. And we can send it to the reverse engineering team. And this allows us, for example, to understand uh, what is the IP address or domain addresses that are used by the attackers, which file names they're, use, they're, they're using, which vulnerabilities they're using. So this is also an interesting part. Uh, yeah. Our reverse engineering team should uh, give very, very quick results. So we're, we're, when, when we send them something, we're hoping for results within a couple of hours. They have to do a really fast job and they have the right infrastructure in place to do this uh, this uh, reverse engineering research. And uh, these are the things we do at the, the first step. 
Wow. <laughs> That's a big first step. And and I know you said there were there were a lot of details to this. I mean, I'll be honest, what some of the things that jumped out on that 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 I think will resonate with our audience, the fact that there's a a management step, like you said, but there's also a psychological step to it. How do you keep the client calm in a situation like this? You know, you're talking about how you look at log files, RAM stamps, fi- you know, file time stamps. You know, I think one of the things that jumped out um not only in your answer, but when I was reading the article was the fact that you have what's called like a skate offense forensics team that looks all this and your reverse engineering team that's taken a step back looking at the malware. I think one the you know, the audience will really I think one thing to take away from this is that just the different facets that go into this. It's not a sing let, let let's say let, there are multiple layers to your response team is what I'm hearing. Is that correct in saying multiple groups of specialization? Yes, ab- absolutely. I think I think that the 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 management part is the most uh, challenging. You know, the technical mm-hmm. part we know how to do. Uh, the management part, keeping the customer happy in the middle of an investigation when everything goes down and the board is calling him or her and the the CEO and uh, and all of that, uh, keeping every everyone calm and continue the investigation in an efficient way. I think this is the most challenging part for us. On the reverse yeah. engineering side and forensic side, we know what we're doing. We're doing it for for many years. This thing mm-hmm. we can do very, very, very efficiently, and there's no not really a lot of difference between different customers. I mean, we talk about it in in cybersecurity, IT, OT convergence, whatever it is, all the time. You know, the people part is the challenging part to get right, and and you know, the technical part you can you can get through that. Like you said, you've seen it before, and you know, as we get kind of towards the the end of this story. And, and again, I know we could take a big deep dive into this, but, you know, ultimately what, what problems did you find and how, and two part question, how did you ultimately resolve the issue? So the, the, the problems we found in this incident are very similar to other incidents. Um, it was a combination of, uh, giving a supplier, uh, access when the supplier didn't have the same level of security. As this, mm-hmm. as this pharmaceutical company, that's one. Second problem, there was a difference between um, the network architecture as described by the customer and the actual network architecture that allowed this cyber attack. In addition to that, we saw an irregular manufacturing floor with no uh, software updates. Everything was unpatched. Uh, luckily for them, they did have some kind of network segmentation so uh, the malware uh, only infected uh, some of the segments, not all of them. But mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, it infected the most critical segments. So yeah. uh, at, at least that, you know, we, we, we got the, uh, on, only partial coverage of the ransomware. These things is uh, things we, we see uh, very, very often mm-hmm. and also in, uh, in this attack. And uh, about your question about how it ended. So after collecting all of the log files, uh, and by the way, we also deployed the Skatefence platform because we had uh, we we believed that the attackers might still be in the network, trying mm-hmm. to take over the additional network segments. So they decided to deploy the ransomware, but they they uh, they had only partial coverage. So we suspected they might still be in the network. So we deployed our platform to understand if they're if they're doing anything. And we did we 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 found that they are scanning the network and they are trying to propagate into additional segments. Um, also, from the log files, we understood where the attack came from. Uh, we traced it back to a machine that uh, was uh, in, in use by a third-party vendor. 
someone that's doing remote maintenance. Mm. Uh, we called this vendor. It was evening time. We asked them for access to their machine that they used to connect to our network. They gave us access, remote access. We found that the malware was there. They came from there. We found the log files. Uh, and this machine was unpatched and open to the internet. Uh, it was a classical attack through the supply chain. We, we also saw it a few weeks ago with the SolarWinds campaign. It's also a supply chain attack, slightly different, but still in the category of supply chain. So th this is what happened in this, uh, in this story. I love the way you describe it as a, a classic attack through the supply chain, because we see this, uh, what, what you're saying is this is not just an isolated issue. This is something that you've seen before and we're, we'll, we'll undoubtedly see again. Um, you know, I, I said this partway through the interview. We want to get this to a happy ending. I have a few questions to kind of wrap things up, have a forward-looking approach to this. One of the things you said early in the interview is that the manufacturing industry is kind of uniquely vulnerable to this. You know, you have older systems. Um, you know, the talent the talent that you have in the manufacturing industry, there, there's no doubt there's a talent gap. People are trying to find the best people for their teams. You mentioned that IoT equipment can be hard to secure and where you're not just talking about Windows. So with all of the with all of these things, you know, what how can people be secure? How can people what can leaders at these companies do to prevent this from happening? Because in order to unlock the power of digital transformation or a connected enterprise, things like that. It's important to be connected and have these type of systems, but how can people do the things to prevent themselves from getting in the situation that this company got into? Uh, I think, uh, f first of all, something like this can happen to, to anyone. Um, I, I, I think of it as uh, reducing the risk. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's mm -hmm. it's pretty it's it's almost impossible to prevent any type of cyber attack. But I think that uh, with the right uh, with the right investments, you can significantly reduce your risk and mm -hmm. uh, and open yourself to to, to business. Um, there there are a couple of things that we recommend uh, companies to do. I have to say it's not it's not an easy journey. It's mm -hmm. not something. There's no one solution that you can deploy or do one thing to to solve the problem. I think that the first step would be to to understand uh, what is the problem specifically uh, in in your in your plants. So a lot of companies are doing something like security assessments or using mm -hmm. tools to understand what's going on. It's not re if you have a hundred facilities, it's not really required to go to each and every one of them. You can do you you can do you know just part of them. Maybe maybe select the ones that are more most important. The the problems will reappear in each one of the facilities. So it's not required to do all of them. You, you also need to have a strategy of how to handle it. There are standard ways. There are uh, uh, guidelines published by NIST, by uh, 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 the IEC organization 62443. Um, mm -hmm. And there, there are many guidelines depending on the industry. You can look there, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wide. Uh, I, I would say also get external talent to help you get consultants that are part of this industry we because we see something that you can't see we see a lot of organization we see a lot of things yep. uh, i think i think it's good to have someone on your side and uh, i i think that uh, you know this this uh, industry i'm talking about the supply side i'm talking about services and products we are ready so it's just a matter of you know, we, we, we are ready to start. We have the experience. All of the tools are ready. We know exactly which cyber attacks. We know how to protect. We know the architectures. 
it was not possible to do five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, now the people are there. The experience is there. I think if you haven't started yet, it's a good time to 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 start. And if you already started, maybe it's maybe you can optimize your program. If you're looking to invest more resources in it, maybe maybe you can rethink it and and see how you can improve it. Awesome. So understand what the problem is unique to your facility or operation. You know, have a strategy on how to handle it. You mentioned best practices out there like 62443 and getting external help. Um, awesome, awesome tips across the board. One thing I think of specifically was the fact that you mentioned there was a, a third party vendor involved that, and that's kind of how they, they made their way through. What is, how, how does a company manage vendor expectations in that regard? Because people need their vendors to help them out. How do they, how do people do that without creating a, a vulnerability, so to speak? Yeah. So first of all, this is a very wide problem in the industry. Mm-hmm. We see it everywhere. Uh, it's so critical that uh, the DOD actually issued guidelines in 2020 called the CMMC. This is specifically to protect the DOD against supply chain attacks. So the way to prevent these attacks, uh, you know, it's it's not just one way, but I can give you something that will give you the 80-20 coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do something very, very simple to prevent these kind of incidents uh, or prevent most of them. First of all, when you allow third-party access, only allow uh, third-party access to the components they need to access. So in this case, um, they were able to access any machine on the network in their own segment. This is a big problem. Uh, it's much better to limit them if they have to maintain five machines just Hard, put hard-coded IP addresses of where they're allowed to connect and even which ports they're going to use. This will give you uh, much better security. Um, on top of that, also, um, they didn't enable m- multi-factor authentication. So the attackers were able to connect and uh, and uh, do uh, um, whatever they wanted in the network by uh, by using uh, the password that was stored on the on the machine or the the, uh, the session that was stored on the, on the machine with multi-factor authentication this would not have been uh, uh, possible um, there are solutions that allow you to connect uh, more more securely there there are uh, uh, things you you can use for that another thing you can do is to have some kind of uh, training or awareness to your suppliers so if we're talking about someone getting remote access, um, you might, uh, you might uh, explain to them, I, I don't know, um, how, to, how to connect to it in a, in a secure way and just make sure they, the, the person connecting uh, knows what, what they're doing and not connecting, for example, from a machine on the internet that's unpatched like we had in this, in this case. Uh, you can also limit the connections to your network from specific uh, IPs only. So the the vendor can can give you their ip address of the office for example and they you can only uh, let them connect from there now it's a little bit more tricky because people are working from home and it's different ips but sometimes it's still it's still possible to do anyway i would i would say that having more secure remote access is the key to this and mm-hmm. another thing and, and another thing i think manufacturers should do is also not only work on prevention but also work on detection because we mm. need to be aware that prevention cannot prevent 100% of the incidents. If we had there some kind of system to detect this is this incidents, this would have been prevented at a very early stage. So these are the two things I recommend. Awesome. Setting up guidelines for suppliers, working on prevention and detection. 
great tips. You know, we've, we've talked about a lot today, and the reality is the threat landscape is always evolving. You know, what's something that people should be looking out for in the future, kind of the next thing they should be preparing for? I, I think that first of all, if you're if you're in cybersecurity, you have to constantly be updated on what's going on. Um, so it's not you know it, it's not it's not possible to listen to one podcast a year and uh, and re and uh, think you're on top of things. It's you, you need to go to the places and, and understand what are the common attacks. If there's any change, you should sign up to uh, to the uh, alerts in, uh, in of the, the 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 NSA issues and CISA to get these alerts from them and understand what is being exploited in the wild, for example, which vulnerabilities you have. So it's a constant uh, uh, struggle. Now, unfortunately, there is a very, there is a very uh, worrying trend. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in ransomware, they just, uh, they just uh, encrypt your files and they ask for the money and it's only a, it's, it's a, it's a financial problem for you. But now there, there is another, there is a, something else that they're doing. They're, they're stealing information and they want you to pay for the information. So they're not only encrypting your systems. First of all, they steal off the, all of the information. Mm -hmm. Then they encrypt all of your systems. And now they have two, two things they can do against you. They, they can yep. sell your information to someone. They can publish it online. And by the way, you're also stuck with no backups on many of the systems. And go figure it out yourself. It's going to take you a year to bring yourself uh, to the same... <laughs> position as today. This wow. is what people should expect. Um, I think people should expect a lot more supply chain attacks. Now that now mm -hmm. that manufacturers are starting to protect themselves, we're going to see more and more attacks through the supply chain, like SolarWinds and like the attack we're talking about here. Start thinking about your supply chain, start thinking about your vendors, start mapping out who has access to what, reduce mm -hmm. the attack surface. Uh, and as I mentioned, deploy the detection systems, so you will you you will have some early warning system before something uh, bad happens. Wow, yeah, a lot of a lot of good information. You know, it 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 can be scary out there, but you know, maybe maybe we bring it back into because I don't know if we ever re totally resolved the story. There was a happy ending for this customer, right? They got their the the pharmaceutical company you were describing. They got things back up and running, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> Yeah. So the the the, the investigation uh, went pretty quickly. Um, yeah. It it wasn't hard for us to understand what's what's going on. I think uh, mm -hmm. by the end of the day, uh, we managed to contain the risk completely. Understand where the attacker came from. Cut this uh, communication line, and we started uh, bringing uh, the the machines back. It was it was it wasn't possible to decrypt the files. Uh, attackers these mm -hmm. days are using a type of asymmetric encryption, um, mm -hmm. and they have unique keys for each one of the of, of the machines. Uh, so it's not possible to decrypt, but we're able to 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 uh, to keep the attack uh, as is and not spread into additional segments. Mm -hmm. um, we created a new network segment, started moving machines there. After cleaning them or restoring from backup, we understood when the attack started, so we knew when which backups we can trust and which we cannot trust because they were yeah. already infected. So the customer was uh, was very happy with this investigation. Not not always it's so uh, it's so quick. Sometimes it can take you a couple of days. Sometimes it can even take uh, a few weeks, depending on the complexity of the attack and what is known, what is not known. Uh, but the, this was a pretty uh, happy ending for the for for the customer. 
Awesome. You know, to wrap things up, what's the best way to connect with Skate Offense and what's some advice that you'd recommend for manufacturing leaders out there that want to continue to grow their operation, add connected technologies, but do it in a safe and secure way? So the, the best way to contact us is uh, you, it's possible to contact us uh, through our website. You can send us a, a question there and we will, we will answer very, very quickly. Um, you can also um, contact uh, me directly if, you, if you'd like to. Uh, I'm always happy to talk about uh, technical uh, things and security. So my email address is ofer at skatefence.com. What I recommend to do for people who are manufacturing leaders, I, I, I'm pretty sure you're already taking this whole security thing pretty seriously. Sometimes you need a trusted partner you can work with on, on this. And, uh, but I, I think it's also worthwhile to build your own uh, knowledge base and your own experienced um, teams. So I, 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 would, uh, I, I would create a team of experts. Norm what we see normally these days is experts coming from IT, from security, and from OT. So you have uh, OT engineers. It doesn't need to be a lot of people, but people that can talk to each other and solve a lot of the conflicts that you normally have in these conversations. And, and uh, prepare yourself for the future, because in five years from now, we know that the manufacturing world is going to be a lot more connected. You're going you're gonna to need to have significant... You know, some people say that now every company has to be a security company as well. Now that we're starting offering services globally, mm -hmm. everyone needs to have their own experience. So I, I would also go for that. If you, if you have the right scale to build your own team, I would definitely go for that as well. If, of course, many companies lack the scale and they, need, they rely on services, they cannot mm -hmm. have a full-time team. But uh, this is the way to go, I think. Awesome. Well, like you said, it's it's important to have external partners. Also, make sure you have the right talent internally. Um, any resources that you've mentioned today for the listeners out there will be on our show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. In the meantime, Ofer, thank you for taking us through this journey, through this uh, through this story, and for all the advice you included along the way. This was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Chris. It was very fun. And thank you to all of the followers of the podcast. Cheers, everyone. We'll catch you next time. All right. You heard what Ofer said. Get that team together and prepare for the future. Always a meaty conversation around cybersecurity here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. A big thanks to Ofer and the entire team at Skate Offense for making this episode happen. If you would like to access any of the resources mentioned in today's show, you can do that in the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 36. That is three six. You can find the anatomy of a targeted ransomware attack white paper over there, as well as that Skate Offense cybersecurity cocktail book I was telling you about, which it's got like nine drinks and it'll give you a little more information on it. It's a lot of classic cocktails. Some of them have a unique spin. I'm going to give you the names of some of the more unique drinks on this list. For example, there is the Compliance Spritz. There is the Regal Ransomware. That uh, ties in with our conversation today. The Cool Vendor. You get the point. It's a lot of fun, and there's cybersecurity tips mixed in throughout this recipe book as well. So uh, highly recommend checking that out. PDF is linked over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 
36. And as we get to the end of today's episode, a couple final announcements. If you liked this episode and if you enjoy the show in general, consider leaving us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. That's a direct link that will work on your iPhone or on your desktop. And those reviews can be super quick. I do read them. I was just checking them out. Uh, last week, and uh, I appreciate the feedback you guys have there. It's great stuff. Keep it coming, and it keeps putting the show on the map, so it's certainly helpful. Finally, one more shout-out to our sponsor for today's episode, Steamchain.io. They are the machine-as-a-service company that allows end-users and equipment manufacturers to put together usage-based contracts where you pay for equipment based on performance rather than the asset itself. That's just one example. But if you're an end-user that's looking to get the most out of your CapEx spend or if you're an equipment manufacturer that's looking to build in some repeatable revenue streams, definitely check out steamchain.io. And with that, that's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this latest cybersecurity edition. We'll talk to you again soon. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.